0: But as we're reading through God's Word, we're in the Anchored in the Word series. And so we're going to be reading from, and our message comes from, Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible you want to open up there, our service team has Bibles. So if you uh, don't have a Bible and you'd like to raise your hand and get a Bible, they'll get one to you. We're going to look at our message, the explosive power of the church, which is the source of grace, is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is impossible to be lived without the empowering of the Spirit. You see, each one of us have become addicted to these crazy things, right? And you're always concerned with your power. As your phone gets older, I just got a new phone, because as my phone got older, the battery wouldn't last as long, right? So I have a phobia. I don't know if you have this phobia. Because I travel a lot, being, you know, stranded in New York, 12 o'clock at night, I need Uber, and my phone's dead. Oh, snap, right? So, I have the portable one that has four phone charges in it. So, everywhere I go, I'm like totally plugged into power. (laughs) Gotta have power. And the reality is, though, no matter how capable this is, my office in a box, I can email, I text do whatever you want to do. Do pics, do videos. Sometimes I do videos if I'm on location for um, Liberty Station. All of that is not possible, accessible, or can take place unless it has power. And the Christian life is that way as well. The Bible asks us actually to do impossible things. Does it not? Love God with all your heart. Oh, that sounds awesome. Love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds awesome. But do I really love God with all my heart? My heart is this idol factory. I'm constantly putting everything else in front of God. I know you guys don't have that problem because you're too spiritual, but I have that problem, right? And then to love my neighbor as myself, you see, I take very good care of myself. When I'm hungry, I feed me. When I'm thirsty, I give me something to drink. When I'm cold, I wrap a blankie around me. Now, if you're hungry, thirsty, or cold, I'm like, Whatever. <laughs> then the Lord goes on and says, now I want you to love and bless your enemies. Pray for God's blessing on your enemies. That friend that just stabbed you in the back and destroyed your life with all of your other friendships. It's like they did the scorched earth policy for your life. And now I'm going to pray, oh God, wonderful loving Father in heaven, Pour out your blessings of demons and lightning and thunderstorms. but No, no, no. Praying for God to bless them. Because God knows supernaturally, I cannot continue to pray for God's goodness on a person's life and hate them at the same time, and I'm the one that's being set free, not that person. These things are supernatural. Because in the natural, I do not love God. I love myself. I don't love my neighbor, forget them. And my enemy, I'm going to punch him in the face. That's me in the natural. As my wife so sweetly says, her big blue eyes and her beautiful blonde hair, she says, Rick is a total jerk without Jesus. It's always like a dagger in my heart because it's so true. She knew me before I came to Jesus. She knows me after Jesus. She, we saw a headline, I was telling her about the headline with this Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing, which is just, whoa, my, I mean, my heart's broken for them. They, they need Jesus really bad. And, and I was saying, this Amber Heard has really, uh, you know, attacked or sinking Johnny's ship. And we're just like tit for tat, you know, over dinner, just having fun. And she looked at me and she said, any wife can totally destroy their husband with what they know. And I said, oh, you are so right. Are we doing good? (laughs) I say all that to say I am a man from the top of my head to the tip of my toes, and the Christian life is inaccessible to me without supernatural power. I have no ability to do any of those things I just talked about without supernatural power. Just like my phone, when it is dead, I might as well use it as a paperweight because it's worthless, right? The story of the book of Acts is about people that are weak and helpless, just like you and me, infused with supernatural power to live a supernatural life, to impact a hurting, broken, lost world with God's love. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's explosive power for the church, for the believers. This week I was reading an article about a country, and and if you get caught with a Bible or you're known to be worshiping with Christians, it's an immediate 15-year sentence in prison. And uh, this is not some ancient story. This article is from 2018 that I was reading. And uh, in this country, uh, the story was following these Christians, about four or five of them, to have church on Sunday, they show up at the riverbank like they're going to go fishing, like they're professional fishermen, they bring all their fishing gear, they go to the riverbank, they have a little rowboat, they throw it in there, and then they row to the middle of the river under pretense of fishing, because if they're caught, you go to prison for 15 years, and many people die in prison because the conditions are so bad. And so they go out there, and then they pull out of this duffel bag that's buried in the bottom of their gear, this dog-eared, worn-out Bible that's water-stained from the kind of abuse it has to go through, hiding it, and having church service in a boat, in a river. And so they quietly have worship and a church service with this Bible. This is the country of North Korea. Now... In this story, when they're out there having their little church service, because not every Christian gets a Bible. They have one Bible for the whole group. And so this person starts rowing his boat out to them, and they panic because they're sure that's the police. The police are coming. They've heard that they're Christians. And the person had heard they're a Christian, but as he came out, he approached the bo- boat, and he told them, I'm a Christian too, and I'm bringing you a new Bible. And they were just radiant. He gave, They gave, uh, received his new Bible, and they, he took the old tattered one, And they continue. That's how they have to meet on Sunday mornings. Never take for granted what we enjoy here. And then that man went back to his hotel room where he was staying because he is a smuggler for God. I tell people, if you want to break the law, at least do it for Jesus. Right? So it's illegal to smuggle Bibles, but he smuggles them into the country. And his life's at risk. He can go to prison. And so he put that old worn-out Bible, because they use it for other people, and he put it in the bottom of his drawer with clothes over it or whatever and, the, and uh, the person when they came to clean this hotel room they rummaged through all of his stuff and found the Bible when he got home it was gone he was panic stricken because he was sure they turned it into the police the maid or whoever well it was a man that had cleaned the room and he came back later and he told the man he had been seeking God and he said I had prayed that God would send me a Bible so he also is a criminal for Jesus he's ransacking the guy's stuff right Right, So you know, if I'm going to steal from you, I at least want to do it in Jesus' name. But that guy in his ministry committed to give, bring, smuggling 100,000 Bibles into the country. You have to understand how dangerous this is. I mean, it's seriously dangerous. Now, the beauty of the faith that we have in Christ Jesus and the culture that it creates through our founding fathers and what we enjoy... This picture to me is one of the most dramatic illustrations of what the gospel can do. Because the only good thing in America that has come out of, has all come out of the gospel. It's all out of Jesus. Check out this picture. This is from space. You see that lit up part? That's South Korea. You see the line above it? That's North Korea. Total darkness at night. That's a picture of oppression. These people, they they are godless, they've rejected God. They've made it a crime to worship him. You can't have a Bible. These people are starving to death because when you have oppressive, tyrannical government, there's no freedom, there's no uh, freedom to pursue faith or ingenuity or creativity. Now, in the Korean War, we fought, that line there is called the demilitarized zone. I just had dinner with the two-star Marine General that is over South Korea and the DMZ and everything just a few weeks ago. Had an incredible conversation with him. What a wonderful guy. And I asked him all kinds of questions that I'm not going to go into. But the demilitarized the zone, the, the 39th parallel through the Korean War, that we helped the Koreans who were trying to resist communism. Now, in South Korea, check out the light. They're, they are a tech giant in the world now. of Koreans are Christians, 31%. At the turn of the 19th century, 1% of Koreans were Christians, 1%. Now 31% in the South, now not so in the North. You see, what we need, even in our own land, check out this picture. This is what America looks like from outer space at night. It's lit up, man. And we still have faith and freedom here to a degree, but the reality is, is that as we turn, we need to realize that every good and perfect gift that has come from above for us and our families and this nation have all come from the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Spirit of God. And there's a church on every corner. You can't throw a rock and not hit a church in America. I want you guys to know that you are a part of the largest father and son business in world history. You can go to any town and find out an outlet, more than Walmart, a church on every corner. The Pew Research has just uh, came out with their latest study that 2.3 people profess Christianity as their faith. One-third of the entire globe professes Christianity. And today, as we stand and read this passage of Scripture, this was the birthday of the church that we see today. This is where it all started, as the Holy Spirit was poured out on normal men and women, just like you and I, and turned the world upside down or right side up for the Lord Jesus. Let's stand and read this passage of Scripture. Starting at verse 1, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, notice this, We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. They're drunk at church at nine in the morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. We ask now that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might receive all that you have for us. In a very unique, special way for each individual here. Lord, we pray for those families that are just devastated in Texas right now with grief and loss. Lord, your word says you are the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And we pray, Lord, and beseech you in heaven that you would bring your mercy and your comfort to these families and their hearts. Pray that you be with Pastor Rob as he preaches in Michigan. Keep him safe as he travels That he might come home safely. And we pray that you would strengthen us from your word, nourish us, and open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, that's fifty days after Passover. And we realize as we look at the scriptures, Jesus fulfilled Passover. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he also wanted to fulfill Pentecost, which is the Feast of First Fruits or Feast of Weeks. And as they bring the, the harvest, the first harvest. It's a picture of the church that 3,000 souls are going believe, to uh, believe and follow the Lord. And the church is born. It's the church's birthday on that Pentecost Sunday. And so as this unfolds for us, we realize that God brings supernatural things to bear at a very unique point to accomplish the birth of the church. Just like he did at the cross, he brought all of these things together for Jesus to be crucified, buried, and rise from the dead for the sins of the world. And now in this case, he's bringing everybody together to pour out his spirit so that the church can be born and travel around the globe. Here, we're a long ways from Jerusalem, you guys. And the church started in Jerusalem, and yet God's work for 2,000 years just continues on. It's, it's supernatural. It's amazing, really, honestly. And here we're reading this book and this story, and it's as re- relevant today as it was back then. Now, these are the three phenomenon that come together. First, there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind that gets everybody's attention. And then they're probably in the temple courts because that's the only area that's large enough for uh, thousands of people. So the mighty rushing wind comes, and then the 120 uh, disciples, there's a tongue of fire that supernaturally is above each one of their heads. And then they are all praising God in the language of all the people from the Mediterranean. We just listed about 10, 11, 12 countries from everywhere, from Cyrene, from Libya, and everybody comes with a different language, a different dialect. You know, as you travel the country in America, it's really fun to hear all the different accents, isn't it? I mean, if you go to, <coughs> excuse me, Boston is like, you know, hey, you, you want a cup of coffee or a quarter? You go to Wisconsin and have some cheese. You can go to upstate Minnesota, oofta, you betcha. You go to Texas and you got the southern drawl, wherever you go, there's, we're speaking the same language. Sometimes the, the phraseology you're not real sure about, what, like, what's that mean? And my dad, his parents are from Oklahoma, so they have all these pithy little sayings that Oklahomans say, and it's like he's got them, just hundreds of them. And the, this neck of the woods, now this is so specific that these people, and what they know about the people speaking is they're Galileans. Now there's something distinct about the Galileans. Maybe it's the way they dress, but we know it's specifically the way they speak, their uh their tone, their language, because Peter is outed on the night that he betrays Jesus three times, or denies the Lord three times. Because they said, "Your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean." They must have had. They were kind of that backwoods Southern hillbilly types, and that was who Jesus made up of his band of disciples. And you know, he didn't choose them from the the, the colleges of Jerusalem. He just put, picked some hard hardworking fishermen, and they had a distinct language. And so, just imagine you came here today for church. And you're here, but let's say you're a visitor. You're a visitor from some rural village in the mountains of France. And they have a very distinct dialect that is French, but with a specific tone and accent. And you've visited America for the first time. You're here on a tour for a month with a cousin that speaks English. You don't speak a word of English. And she wants you to come to her church, so she brings you along. Now, uh, thus far, she understands nothing because she doesn't speak English. She speaks French. And, and then the, the, this sound of a mighty rushing wind and these tongues of fire, and then somebody across the room begins to praise God in the exact dialect from your village in France. And you're blown away. They're worshiping God, and you're looking at them. And because they look like a surfer dude from Malibu, you know they didn't grow up in your village. Right? But the Holy Spirit gave them this language that is so specific to you, it just crushes your heart. You're like, how do these people, how do they know? They're all Galileans. They don't speak my language. So it's a supernatural event that has them all just puzzled. And God is using this to bring them all to Jesus and to fill them with the power of the Spirit. Now, in this, the crowd is seriously confused, and and it's understandable, right? We pick it up in verse 11 when it says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. By the way, just a little theological reality, is that Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians that tongues is talking to God. It's always, tongues is always god word, And you'll hear in charismatic circles sometimes, or Pentecostal circles, people will be preaching in tongues. Preaching... There's no message in tongues to people. Tongues is always worshiping and praising God. Okay? So, this reality is that as they're worshiping God and they're praising God, that there's a connection of the human hearts in this experience that so blows their mind with amazement, they said, what could this mean? And Maybe they're just, maybe they're drunk. Now, who has ever heard somebody's speech improve with being drunk? Anybody? Right? (laughs) Because we know what happens. It begins to slur and slow down. Now, it's only 9 in the morning. And unfortunately, I know what it's like to be drunk at 9 in the morning. But you have to usually stay up all night or start very early. And I've done both. In my past, before I knew Jesus. But they're not full of new wine. But they're trying to figure it out. They're puzzled. They're confused. And can I share with you, I think there's few things that the church is more confused about than the gift of tongues. Now, some of you are from Baptist backgrounds. My grandparents on both sides of my family are from Baptist backgrounds. So Baptists are cessationists in theology, which means they believe that the sign gifts ceased with the canonization of scripture. When we got the Bible, they take a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that says, when that which is perfect has come, then tongues will be done away with and we won't need these various things. But the whole context of 1 Corinthians 13 says, it's heaven, that's what's being talked about. When heaven comes, I don't need another language. We're in heaven, for heaven's sakes, right? We don't need gifts, we're in heaven. I mean, all that, that season's over. But they they contort a passage of scripture to say, Those gifts are basically they're freaked out by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it's the only way they can say that's not for today. Because honestly, if you've ever been in a room full of people speaking in tongues, it can be just a bit freaky right, for people. Now, I personally speak in tongues and interpret tongues, so tongues doesn't affect me in that way, but you know, I've been preaching here for a couple years now, and you've never heard me speak in tongues in a public setting like this, because it's too big. We, we have, in smaller prayer meetings, you can have tongues and interpretation of tongues, but Paul the Apostle said, hey, I speak in tongues more than y'all, so obviously he's from Texas, and but and, and I'm not boasting that I speak in tongues more than you all, but I do probably speak in tongues more than those. How many of you have the gift of tongues? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot. Actually, the, more in this service than any other service. So that's why 1 o'clock our favorite service. Right? Just teasing. But people with the gift of tongues like to sleep in and come at one. <laughs> all right, so... There's so much confusion surrounding this. So if you grew up with a Baptist background, just for fun, how many of you grew up with a Baptist background or where those things are are not okay. And how many and then on the other side of the table, you have those who grew up in a Pentecostal background where you're not even baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. How many of those do we have here? Okay, about about the same. And most of you are non-committal, which means you're lying, but it's okay. You don't want to participate. The Holy Spirit will bring that sanctification sometime in your life. So, the reality is, is, that most churches become two extremes in those. Have you discovered this? Right? What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? And I want to bring a couple of things together for you to eliminate confusion. And then as Jesus told the woman at the well, the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. When you bring spirit and truth together, you have a dynamic combination. But we see a lot of churches, say Baptist churches, that are really strong in teaching the word. Have you ever went to a very good Bible teaching church that seemed a bit dead or lifeless, but the, the theology is really good? Like the doctrine is really awesome. You, you fill up a notebook with notes. It's really great. And, but you go, there's something missing. And, and ha, then have you ever went to a Pentecostal or a Charismaniac church where they never, they never open the Bible, but everybody's in a sweat. Man, they've been aerobicizing for Jesus and they got, you know, a oh, yeah, so we got the Holy Ghost going on. And you got the amen corner and all that stuff. So I can go full-blown TV evangelist on you. Right? But I enjoy when people talk to me in a more conversational style. That's why I like to talk to you in a more conversational style. Anyway, so the, if you went to the one, now I have a little adage for you that will really help you. Because some of you have been confused. We've had a lot of people come from different churches over the last couple of years, and you're coming from different backgrounds, okay? All right. So we want to teach the word, but we don't want a dead church. We want the work of the Holy Spirit, but we want it to be governed by the direction of the word, right? So we want, we want the both. We want the best Bible teaching and the best worship so that we can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, Together, right? So this is a little adage. I just want to share this adage with you. It's, it's very important for you because some of you have been a little frustrated with God speak, quite honestly. Some of you are Baptists and you've noticed some of those charismatics have been raising their hands. And you're really troubled by that. Now, and then we have some Pentecostals that are coming here and we're so subdued, you guys. The Pentecostals are like, they're dead Baptists. They got no life, right? So it's the two extremes. I want to share with you. All word and no spirit, you dry up. All spirit and no word, you blow up. The word and the spirit, you grow up. So we want to grow up. Amen? Amen. Right. Okay. So, as Peter is going to explain this, He's going to take him back because nothing should happen in church that the preacher can't say, what you're seeing right now in church is what he says, in this case, the prophet Joel spoke about. Meaning that we have a biblical uh, premise for whatever we're doing in church, whether it's worshiping or teaching the word, loving one another, whatever. So Peter begins to explain in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since this is only the third hour of the day or the night in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So there's actually a prophecy about this day that has been written hundreds of years before. In verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servant and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on men servants and maid servants, girls and guys, young and old, sons and daughters. And isn't that what we want? I want the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to help me love God, love my, neighbor, love my neighbor, and love my enemy. I need supernatural power. So I'm thankful for this power. But along with that comes supernatural dreams and prophecy and even a prayer language to worship God, which is the gift of tongues. I sincerely believe, you know, I want you to, once again, describe a little something to you, you may not be aware of. What's the difference between a Pentecostal and a Charismatic? A Charismatic believe all the gifts of the Spirit are for today, but not everybody gets every gift. Basically, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, "Do all have gifts of healing?" It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Do all speak in tongues? The answer is no. And so you don't get every gift. Now, if you're a Pentecostal. The definition of Pentecostalism is you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you speak up with tongues, okay? And they believe that everybody should be, if you're born again and spirit-filled, you should be able to speak in tongues. That's why there's so much emphasis on it. So uh, I had an assistant pastor for 23 years, but before he came and joined me, for 12 years he was in a Pentecostal church. He could never become a member of that church because he did not have the gift of tongues and he was not willing to fake it. He had other gifts and was very underappreciated from my perspective. When he and hung out with me, I wanted him to be my right-hand man because all of his other gifts were beautiful. Because we are a charismatic church. We believe all the gifts are for today, but that you don't have all the gifts. We just had people raise their hand about those who have the gift of tongues. Well, there's a lot of you that don't. Well, there's 19 different gifts that are described in the scriptures, and some believe that's not an exhaustive list, but it's the list we have. Okay, you have 19 gifts to choose from, and tongues is actually one of the least of the gifts because do you know all other 18 gifts, when I use that gift, it's for someone else? Only the gift of tongues, when you use it, is for yourself. It builds you up personally and spiritually. Only when you have the gift of interpretation of tongues are other people built up and blessed. So that's a lot from God's word, especially, I'm just so thankful. Some of you are freaked out right now. That you're actually sitting in a church that believes in the gifts of the Spirit and you didn't know it. So, you're in a safe space. You're okay. right? Don't run for the door because, let me tell you, already some of the things I've said have offended half the room. So, stick with me. Maybe we'll get the other half offended too. Okay. Another theological point when it comes to last day's studies is that how long it says in the prophet Joel in verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days. Any p- prophecy buffs like myself know the last days stands for the time before Jesus comes, right? But the last days, according to the prophet Joel, he goes all the way through the anointing, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How long is that going to last? And then he takes us to verse 19 through 21. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So then he describes that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for the church all the way to the great tribulation period of time. That means it is there for us all the way until Jesus comes again. The last days are from the birth of the church 2,000 years ago till Jesus comes again. We're living in the last days, you can confidently say, because 2,000 years ago, the prophet Joel said they were living in the last days as well. So having said that, Peter now turns, and now he wants to talk to them directly. He's, he's explained the phenomenon. He's like a good preacher. He's went and found a passage of scripture that explains what's going on. And he's taught it to them. And then he says in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him. In your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now Peter says, everything that you're seeing, apply it to your own life. You see, it's only been 50 days since Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. And it is the social media mania going on about the one that they thought was the Messiah who was crucified, and now he's rumored to be raised from the dead. Now, Jesus has appeared for 40 days. He keeps appearing to his disciples off and on for 40 days, popping into rooms, out of rooms, into rooms. He's eating with them. He's hanging out with them. And he does that. And as a matter of fact, Paul the Apostle tells us, that he appeared to 500 believers at one time. You now, you imagine 500 people seeing the risen Christ. Do you think that's a rumor going on? Or at least the, the, the truth is going on? But the news would be everywhere. Absolutely. You, you, I mean, it's the headline. And so he tells him, he said, You know, this, this Jesus who did signs and wonders and all of those things, he said, He is the one that your hands have crucified. You crucified him. You said crucify him and set Barabbas free. His blood is on your hands, he's telling the people. You go, wow, I'm thankful I wasn't there because his blood's not on my hands. Isn't it? What took Jesus to the cross? My sin took Jesus to the cross. Your sin took Jesus to the cross. The sins of my thoughts, the sins of my attitude, the sins of my actions, the sins of my heart, the sins of my lifestyle. Jesus was hung naked and brutally Spiked to a cross for my sins. I sent Jesus to the cross. You sent Jesus to the cross. His blood is not only on our hands, that it is our life, that He is that great substitute, but vicariously or as a substitution, the beauty of that on the flip side is when I embrace by faith His death, burial, and resurrection as the only means of salvation. Now I stand before Jesus and you sit here today, if you love Jesus, You sit here 100% forgiven and righteous in the sight of God. You say, no, you you don't know the kind of week I had. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus. Positionally, so there's positional righteousness, then there's practical righteousness. But you always start at the finish line. Isn't that the cool thing about the Christian life? You know, in a race, you start, and you have to run all the way to the finish line. As a Christian, I start at the finish line, and I'm just starting. I go, I win. Isn't that great? I love to start at the finish line. We win. And the reality is, is that now that creates this incredible intimacy that I realize that I was a part of this process. The sins of the world were laid on him. And he died for all of our sins, past, present, and future sins for the entire world. Now in those three hours of darkness, when it turns dark, and Jesus cries out before it, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that moment, just think about, don't dwell there long, but when you've sinned and failed, and the guilt and shame you feel in your own soul, imagine wave after wave of the guilt and shame of all humanity being poured over you, you only have to wrestle with your own guilt and shame. Imagine the weight and the sin and the shame and all those things that in that moment as Jesus, the scriptures tell us, it even goes further. Not only did he die for our sins, but Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He actually, as he embodied the life of the Son of God upon the cross, he embodied all of our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the greatest exchange of all history. So. David, uh, David is now going to be brought up by Peter. He's a good preacher. He goes back to Psalm 16 and he's going to t- speak about things and also to uh, Psalm 110. But for the sake of our time, to, to kind of bring it home, now we see the people's response. Because Peter's laid it out. This is what God's Spirit is doing. This is the birthday of the church. You have an opportunity to believe. You've been a part, you're responsible. And anybody that has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, was a part in the crucifixion of Jesus because he went there for that purpose and that reason. So it says the crowd believes in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You know that moment where you just, it's your aha moment, the light bulb goes on. It's like when the prodigal was feeding the hogs and actually the food that he was feeding. The the pigs looked good to him and it says he came to himself. It's like that moment you just go, what am I doing? How am I living in this sin? Look what Jesus has done for me. These guys are cut to the heart, but they don't know what to do. Can you imagine, I, I've heard all this, now I have this huge sense of oh, the weight of guilt of my own sin and shame that Peter's just laid on me, so how do, what do I do with it? He tells them, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. He says you repent. That's what happens when you turn to the Lord. Repentance simply means to change. It means to change your mind, to change your direction. So I'm living a self-centered, sinful life. And when I repent, it means I change 180, and now I want to walk with God and do what he wants me to do. I don't do that perfectly, even though I'm declared 100% righteous positionally. I I stumble and fall in that walk with God. It's not a straight line. It's like, I got saved 40 years ago, and I've never deviated from that. Like, GPS, I'm a pilot, so I used to love to fly GPS direct. Now, if you have to do VOR, you have to go here and there, and sometimes it's circuitous a bit. But I love to go direct. It's like you get up in the air, set your GPS, stay on that course all the way to your destination. The Christian life is nothing like that. (laughs) The Christian life is like... Right, it's like all over the place. Especially, I mean, those early years. The first three years, if people would have told other people that I was a Christian, others would have said, no, you're lying to our face. Because I was such a mess for the first three years. Right? It's called sanctification. God cleans you up. So you, he radically saves you. You start walking with Jesus. You get the honeymoon phase, and then you go through some trials and tribulation. Then I went back to the bar with my friends, and then, and then I got high with my friends, and then they said, you're a bummer. We don't want to hang out with you anymore because you used to be a fun drunk and a fun stoner, but now all you do is bemoan your life with Jesus that you're in sin while you're drunk and stoned. We don't, you're such a bummer. We don't want to hear about Jesus while we're high. Talk about bring us down. Like I know, I just gotta go to church, get my life right with God. You're all over the place. I just want to encourage you. I rededicated my life every Sunday at church. Oh Jesus, I gave God the biggest promises you've ever heard in your life. You ever done that? You, oh God, you've forgiven me. I'm gonna do this for you. I'm gonna do, And it was finally after that point that I already promised about a hundred things that I can't achieve. I'm breaking all my problems. And I just came in and said, Lord, I'm a big mess. Would you just help me by your Spirit live for you? And things begin to even out, Amen. right? And it's important to know the journey because I find a lot of mature Christians that are a long ways down the road in sanctification somehow have a bad memory and have forgotten where they were when they were young Christians. And all of a sudden, they're taking to task these young Christians that are just kind of stumbling along, trying to find their way. I tell people, just be really gracious to them for the first five years. They're a mess. Be gracious to them. Now, these people are going to repent. They're going to get baptized. And then the promise of the Spirit is for them and their children and those who are far off. This promise of the Spirit of God from the day of Pentecost till till Jesus takes us home is here for us. And we can plug into this power, and we can enjoy this power, and we can soak up this power and this intimacy with Jesus, and he's going to use us. You know, Jesus, when he spoke to the crowd in John chapter 7, he said, you know, when you believe in me, rivers of living water are going to flow from your innermost being. Now, wait, wait a second. How come they're flowing from me? I need them. No. You see, he he pours his spirit into you so that you're a channel and a vessel so that it can go out then to others. The Christian life is not a container. It's a conduit. And so the more joy that I have as I'm filled up with the Lord and his work and I share it with others, it amplifies the level of joy in my life. So that, that, that dynamic, once you've discovered it, you actually become, there's, you know, there's good things to be addicted to. As a matter of fact, the word addicted is used to the ministry of the saints. Once you get addicted to serving God and his people, you're hooked for life. Like, I've been mainline in ministry for years now, right? And literally, in the Greek, is addicted. You become addicted to the ministry of the saints in the passage of Scripture in Corinthians. And that, that there's, a, there's a flow of living waters that is coming to you and through you. Where life, the people around you, you may be the only Bible people ever read. You may be the, only cl- the closest thing to Jesus on earth as far as him living inside of you that anybody sees. You're not doing it perfectly because you're human. But it, the more real you keep it, the more tasteful it is to others. The more self-righteous and condemning and condescending you are. That doesn't attract anything. It's like, no thank you. If it's going to make me anything like you, I don't want it. But who is not attracted to love and grace and forgiveness and kindness? Who is not att- attracted to faithfulness and relationship? Who's not attracted? Everybody's attracted to those things. This is what you want in someone. This is what you want. And when people see it, they're blown away by it. You see, this whole story started as the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, the wind blows wherever it will. But you see, you have never seen the wind in your entire life. You've seen the effects of the wind. You see dust blowing in the wind. You see snow blowing sideways. You see rain blowing. You see leaves blowing. You see limbs and branches and foliage. You've never seen the wind a day in your life because the wind's invisible. It's created from the uneven heating and cooling of the earth's surfaces where hot air is rushing upward and cold air is rushing downward, and it creates this this wind. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, a guy that was looking for the power of the Holy Spirit in his own life, and Jesus said, you must be born again to have this work of the Spirit in your life. And in this reality, he says, you know what? You're going to see people that are under the influence of the Spirit just like a tree that's being swayed by the wind. You go, man, I don't know what you got going on, but... Whatever you got, I need some of that, right? And I worked in construction, which was a great place to witness. Because construction workers, I don't know what happens to them, but when they enter the game, their vocabulary is reduced to one word. It's the F word. And that F word they call the hammer and the wall and their coworker and everything else. And you're like, wow, what a lib- limited vocabulary I've just stepped into. I feel like all of a sudden like I'm a genius. I got ten words, right? But when you begin to live as a person that is filled with love, joy, and peace, patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that's the ninefold work of the Holy Spirit, or some believe it's love basically described. Who doesn't want love, joy, and peace? And if love, joy, and peace is not what's flowing from your life, I want you to know, (laughs) if you're not enjoying it, don't export it, because what you're exporting is not good. But if you're exporting love, joy, and peace, I want you to know, people are attracted to that. Why was it that the religious people were repelled by Jesus and all the broken sinners were attracted to Jesus? And it says the common people heard him gladly because no matter what Jesus presented to people, they knew that he loved them and accepted them and would receive them and he would help them. That's what's attractive. That's what brings you, and that's what the Spirit of God wants to do through the Word of God to change this world for God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your incredible grace. Thank you for your Spirit, and right now, Lord, we just want to pray that your Spirit would fall upon us, refresh us. As we're praying in closing, maybe you're here today and your heart's just broken. Maybe your marriage is struggling or some sin's been getting the best of you and you just want to break free. I just want you to know that God's love is overwhelmingly towards you and for you and wants to touch you right now. I want you to know that Jesus' love and sacrifice is sufficient to cleanse you from your sins. And I want you to know that God's spirit is sufficient to empower you to have a transformed life. We want to pray for that right now. And maybe you don't even have the words, but I just invite you to pray with me right now. To invite Jesus into your situation for his help. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for your grace and kindness. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would empower me, fill me with the rivers of living water of your spirit. Lord, help me. Give me a love for your word. Give me a love for prayer. Give me a love for your people. Lord, do for me and in me and through me what I cannot do for myself, Lord. I just confess my own brokenness my own weakness, my own failure. And thank you that you see it all and you wash and you cleanse and you accept and you receive. Thank you, Jesus, that you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. I can't thank you enough, Jesus. We worship you and praise you And pray that your spirit would carry us through as we walk with you this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.